is the main event. What you gonna do? If you're some man, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Woo! Yeah! Ooh, yeah. I am the game. Costco said so. Oh my god! What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace, Waterrush. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Are you ready? Everyone has a price. Yeah, I've come here to fight. Standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Introducing your old school pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, Beyond the Bell. Yeah, you can be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You can beat the world. You can beat the war. You can talk the guy go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up. You can beat the clock. You can move a mountain. You can break rocks. You can be a master. Don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself and you can find yourself. We celebrate the 2015 class of the WWE Hall of Fame tonight on Beyond the Bell, powered by the SNS Radio Network. Sean Backerman is back with you to bring you all things retro and wrestling, and retro tonight involves the Hall of Fame. Our next installment, part two of this class, will feature the historic careers of Alundra Blaze, this year's female inductee, and this year's tag team inductees, the Bushwhackers. Monsters, trucks, camouflage, pants, garbage cans, and licked faces. We cover three inductees tonight on BTB. So let's get to it and kick it off as we remember the historic career of Alundra Blaze, a.k.a. Medusa. The WWE Women's Division has a storied past and has featured some of the most fabulous matches between some of the most sensational competitors in sports entertainment history. But when one woman came along, she set the entire scene ablaze. It just keeps getting hotter and hotter, yes indeed. It's ablaze for sure. I am the best ladies champion ever because when you see the blaze, you're going to feel the heat. It was really cool to see Alundra Blaze burst onto the scene. This is one of the first women that I had seen go out there and get it herself. Alundra Blaze broke into sports entertainment in the AWA as Medusa and won the AWA Women's Championship in just over a year of competition. Upon her arrival in WWE, the persona may have changed, but her ascent to the top continued. She had that femininity to her, but she kind of wasn't afraid to use stronger moves. 
1993, Alundra Blaze would capture the WWE Women's Championship, revitalizing the division, all while establishing dominance amongst the competition with three Women's Championship title reigns. Her immense popularity brought the Women's Championship back to the forefront of WWE in the mid-1990s, as she became the first female to defend the title at WrestleMania in nearly a decade. But when Blaze left WWE and joined rival WCW, she sent shockwaves throughout the industry with one of the most iconic moments in the history of the Monday Night War. Alundra Blaze showing up and trashing the women's championship made it seem like, whoa, this is a real war. Throwing the WWE women's title into the trash can on Nitro completely changed the perception of women in this industry to this very day. Although the moment will go down in the annals of sports entertainment history as one of the most rebellious acts ever, Blaze's career is equally as historic. Her unique style and countless accolades, which includes seven women's championships across the globe, served as a launching point for many of the future competitors that followed. WWE is honored to welcome Alundra Blaze into the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2015. Deborah Ambicelli was born in Milan, Italy on February 9th, 1964. She was raised in several foster homes in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She participated in both gymnastics and track. In 1984, she trained with Eddie Sharkey in Minneapolis and began working on the independent circuit. In 1986, she started wrestling in the American Wrestling Association feuding with Sherry Martell as Medusa Michelli. After Martell left the AWA, she replaced her as Mr. Magnificent Kevin Kelly's manager, who often teamed with Nick Kaniski as the perfect tag team. In a tournament final, she won the AWA Women's Championship over Candy Devine on December 27, 1987. At that time, Medusa also began managing the AWA World Heavyweight Champion, Kurt Henning. She later lost the title to Wendy Richter on November 26th of 1988. Henning and Medusa joined the Diamond Exchange, a stable led by Diamond Dallas Page that included Bad Company. With Bad Company, she faced the team of the Top Guns, Ricky Rice and Derek Dukes, and Wendy Richter at the only AWA pay-per-view, Super Clash 3. Both Bad Company's tag team title and Wendy Richter's AWA Women's Championship were on the line, but since Richter pinned Deborah Michelli, Medusa, Bad Company remained the champions. In 1988, she also was the first woman to be awarded Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Rookie of the Year. What an accomplishment. Medusa wrestled a six-week tour for All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling at the beginning of 1989. 
This is where she won the IWA women's title. She then began training in Japan, learning the Japanese wrestling style, as well as Muay Thai and kickboxing. She eventually signed a three-year deal with All Japan, which made her the first non-Japanese wrestler to do so. In addition, she worked for the TWA, feuding with Luna Vachon, whom she faced in a hair-versus-hair mixed tag team match. This was in September of 1991. She and her partner Eddie Gilbert defeated Luna and Cactus Jack, which resulted in Luna having her head shaved. She then went to World Championship Wrestling and helped Paulie dangerously form his Dangerous Alliance. She acted primarily as Alliance member Rick Rude's manager. On October 25th, Dangerously kicked her out of the Alliance at Halloween Havoc. However, she defeated him by countout at the Clash of the Champions on November 18th, 1992. In 1993, the WWF reinstated its Women's Championship, a title that had been vacant since 1990, and Medusa was brought in by the company to revive the women's division. She debuted under the ring name Alundra Blaze because Vince McMahon did not want to pay Deborah to use the name Medusa, which she had trademarked. She wrestled in a six-woman tournament to crown a new women's champion, and in the finals, she pinned Heidi Lee Morgan, on December 13th to win the championship. After the tournament, Deborah asked the WWF management to bring in new women for her to wrestle. In mid-1994, Bull Nakano joined the World Wrestling Federation roster and began feuding with Alundra Blaze. Blaze defeated Nakano at SummerSlam but lost the title to her on November 20th, 1994 in Japan at the Big Egg Wrestling Universe event. Five months later, on April 3rd, 1995, Alundra regained the title from Nakano on an edition of Monday Night Raw. As part of the storyline, immediately following the win, she was attacked by Bertha Fay, who broke her nose. In reality, the storyline was written so Alundra could take time off to get breast implants and a nose job. She returned to the ring in August of 95, losing to women, losing the Women's Championship to Bertha at SummerSlam. Two months later, she won the title for a third time, defeating Bertha Faye on October 23rd. She was released from her contract and was stripped of the title following her jump to the rival World Championship Wrestling back to WCW and... The WWF Women's Championship remained vacant until 1998. She laid claim later on that she made the jump to WCW due to the lack of competition in the women's division at the time and the lack of focus they were getting. She wanted to reinvent herself back in her old promotion, WCW. Then in December of 1995, Medusa signed on with WCW as part of a storyline concocted by Eric Bischoff, in which she showed up on Monday Nitro, exclusively on December 18th, where she threw the WWF Women's Championship belt into the trash can. All right. Can it, everyone? You too, bat dog. I am 
Medusa, always have been Medusa, and always will be Medusa. This is the WWF Women's Championship Whoa. belt. Whoa! Wait a minute, what? Look. That indeed it is. Trash can. And that's what I think of the WWF Women's Championship belt. This is the WCW. I am now in the WCW. And they used to call me a Lunder Blade, but not anymore. Because this is where the big boys play, and now this is where the big girls play. Holy smokes! Medusa, the WWF Women's Championship in the belt right here on Nitro. The belt in the trash can on Nitro. I tell you what, I'm in shock. Oh, Steve Covers just got sucked wow. up on that one in Connecticut, didn't wow. they? Wow! Woo. I tell you what. What a thing. Now, wait a minute. I, you know, I'm getting tired of all, all Man, these wrestlers charging up here to the announcer stage. You know what? I got a friend of mine here tonight that's going to take care of this kind of business. Come on up here, my friend from the Chicago Holy Bears, Mr. William Perry, hey. the refrigerator. And, brother, you make sure no wrestlers come up here and charge us and try to take hey, over man. our business anymore. You How got you doing, that, buddy? Bobby Heenan? Hey, Fred. Ah! Ah! It's not that bad, is it? All right, we got the fridge here. We got all kinds of action here. We got the WCW World Heavyweight right. title on the line. And I'll tell you what, to tell us to get to the ring. Let's do it. You know, I, I, I left, got released, and I was still the WWF Ladies Champion when I left. Despite being unemployed, Medusa still had her WWF Women's Championship belt. She also had a few friends back in WCW as well. Eric Bischoff knew a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity when he saw one. And once again, he jumped at it. When I left, Eric Bischoff was smart on the game. He was in his game. He called and said, Deuce, how would you like to come back to work? You're still the ladies' champion, right? And I said, yeah. Yes, I am. I go, why? He goes, I got an idea. So we talked about his, you know, another contract and what we were going to do. And then he goes, I want you to come in first night on Monday Night Nitro. Come in live. You bring that lady's title to the WWF and you drop it in the trash can. I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. One of her first nights on uh, WCW Monday Nitro, uh, she dropped the World Wrestling Federation's belt in the garbage can and it caused... Uh, tremendous amount of controversy when you kind of degrade a, a belt like that it, it made uh, Vince McMahon uh, a little ticked off that, that she would drop the, the WWF women's title belt in the garbage but Medusa was uh, one of the top female wrestlers uh, that there ever was. This would be an infamous moment and segment which would be replayed over and over again when discussing and summarizing the Monday Night War battle between WCW Monday Nitro, and the WWF's Monday Night Raw. She would later admit that she regretted the action and would not have done it had Eric Bischoff not coerced her to do so. She didn't want to burn bridges, which ultimately happened the moment she dropped that title into the trash can. No one ever saw that before. And these events would be pivotal Less than two years later, when leading up to the Montreal screwjob. What's, you know, what should I do about the belt? I said, Brett, you don't need the belt. Drop the right. belt. I don't care. 
and we had already gone, these people forget about this, we had already gone through a ton of litigation with WWE at the time, WCW and WWE, over the whole NWO Scott Hall thing. There was a, lots of money being spent in federal court over that. And I didn't want any more lawsuits. Turner wouldn't allowed me to use that belt. They would have right. never let me do it, even if I wanted to do it because right. of the litigation. So there was never any intent of using that belt, like I did with Medusa. Right. I admit I did that. But it was never going to happen. But Vince didn't know that yeah. because of the way him and Brett were communicating at the time. Right. So I, I fault Brett in many ways for not communicating clearly. I, I don't fault Vince because he had no idea that he wasn't right. going to see that damn thing on television. Going to the Medusa thing when she came over with the uh, the women's championship, dropped it in the trash can. <laughs> Pretty heavy duty. <laughs> it's great, wasn't it? <laughs> it was ineffectively done. I mean, they had the trash can over there, and she just dropped the thing. I was like, "Oh Jesus!" Uh, so your idea? Yeah. So, uh, I, I, and uh, I'm I really don't know uh, Medusa that well. I follow her on her monster truck stuff. She's kicking ass. She's, uh, she's always been awesome. friends with her. Yeah, she's great. She was like one of the boys. And all the boys respected her because she could work her ass off. But she was physical and she could handle herself. Still can. Yeah. It's, but she was always one of the boys. Yeah. She's uh, great. So so how long did, did, it, did it take some coercing to convince her? A hey, little bit. Yeah. She, I mean, she's, she's been in our business a long time. Yes. And she knew what she was doing was a, that was a death sentence for yeah. her as far as going back. And she knew it. But and it, it was a little bit of work, but I you know, I have a lot of history with Medusa. She she and I started almost the same time in AWA yeah. and we traveled a little bit together and I've been friends with Medusa since eighty seven. So yeah. it took a little work though. Yeah, I always got along with her. She was and, and, and again, she was damn good in ring. And I, all the boys knew that Medusa was a real deal. Alundra Blaze immediately began using the Medusa name once again, and the company brought in Bull Nakano to feud with her. They battle in a match at Hog Wild in August of 1996. Due to pre-match stipulations, Medusa was allowed to destroy Nakano's motorcycle after the match. The company then decided to establish the WCW Women's Championship. This was one of the factors that drew her back over to WCW. But... Medusa lost to Akira Hokuto in the finals of the tournament to crown the first champion on December 29th at Starcade. This was shocking to everybody, of course, because we all thought that the women's title was created and developed for Medusa. They threw us a curveball. On June 15th, Hokuto retained the title against Medusa at the Green American Bash in a title versus career match. Medusa then took nearly two a two-year hiatus from the company. She reappeared to the mainstream scene as she returned to WCW in April of 1999 as part of Macho Man Randy Savage's faction, Team Madness, along with Gorgeous George and Miss Madness, who had become Molly Holly. After the storyline ended, Medusa entered into a tournament for the WCW Championship but she was defeated and eliminated from the tournament. After her elimination, however, Medusa put all her focus on managing Evan Courageous. After Evan won the WCW World Cruiserweight Championship at Mayhem, he was found flirting with Spice of the Nitro Girls. At Starcade, however, Spice gave Courageous a low blow during the match, and Medusa pinned him to become the first female ever to win 
the WCW World Cruiserweight Championship. Spice then aligned herself with Medusa to become her manager for a short time. In January of the year 2000, Medusa developed a rivalry with Oklahoma, the tasteless gimmick of a mimicking of good old J.R. Jim Ross, which was performed by Ed Ferrara in a terrible evening gown match on an episode of WCW Thunder on January 12th. Medusa defeated Oklahoma by stripping off his dress, but he attacked her after the match. She eventually lost the Cruiserweight title to Oklahoma as sold out on January 16th of 2000. This was one of the storylines, I believe, that really put the f- one of the final nails in the coffin of WCW. In the meantime, Medusa became an instructor at the WCW power plant, where she helped train women such as Nora Greenwald, which is Molly Holly, to wrestle. Before WCW's collapse, she engaged in a brief feud with Tori Wilson and Shane Douglas, who defeated her and her partner Billy Kidman at Fall Brawl in a mixed tag team scaffold match. Yep, a scaffold match. Medusa took a big bump during this match and wasn't seen again on WCW television. She retired from professional wrestling for good in 2001. From there, she entered the world of monster trucks and entered the truck business under Dennis Anderson. And this all really started before her retirement in 1999. She made her first American hot rod appearance at the Trans World Dome. Afterward, she purchased her own truck and named it Medusa, as she still had the rights to the name. She began winning freestyle competitions in 2001. She won the 2004 co-championship at the Monster Jam World Finals for freestyle in the first ever three-way tie. In March of 2005 in Las Vegas, she beat her trainer Dennis Anderson in the final bracket of the Monster Jam World Finals for racing championship, thus making her the first woman to win the Monster Jam World Finals racing title. Also in 2005, she was the only female competitor in the Super Bowl of Motorsports. As of January 2008, she is also the Executive Vice President of the Major League of Monster Trucks. What a career Medusa's had, spanning over decades. At one point, she was one, if not the top women's wrestler. In North America. Following her spirit and love for her country, the United States, her name Medusa was derived from a concoction of made in the USA, thus Medusa. What a character and talent she was. Her accomplishments and championships are an indicator, an absolute indicator and testament as to why she should be inducted into the Hall of Fame. 1988 PWI Rookie of the Year, like I mentioned, a three-time WWF Women's Champion, an AWA World Women's Champion, WCW Cruiserweight Champion, the first woman to do so, a two-time IWA World Women's Champion, and an I- the IWCCW Women's Champion. Unfortunately, one of the titles she wasn't able to capture, a title which was really developed for her, we all believe, was the WCW women's title. But nevertheless, Medusa, Alundra Blaze, one of the most talented women ever in the history of professional wrestling and deserving to be 
so deserving to be inducted into this year's Hall of Fame. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Wrestling-online.com is your source for all the latest news and stories in the world of professional wrestling. The Wrestling Online Newsletter dates back to 1996 and with over 26,000 subscribers, Wrestling Dash Online is the largest and longest running free wrestling newsletter on the internet today. Wrestling-Online.com's instant news alert service brings the latest news immediately to your email so that you can be the first to comment socially. The instant news alert service is free of charge and will keep you updated with the latest breaking news, delivering you instant updates before the Wrestling-Online newsletter is even released. Take your news on the go with the Wrestling-Online.com mobile app for the iPhone, iPad, Android, and BlackBerry devices. Wrestling-Online.com for over 20 years providing wrestling fans with the latest news and happenings in professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Unorthodox. Unpredictable. And unleashed into the WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2015. Whoa! Bushwhackers! They're the new tag team from New Zealand. In 1989, Luke Williams and Butch Miller went from the outback to the forefront of sports entertainment, captivating audiences across the WWE Universe with an energy never before seen. Bushwhackers obviously speak the international language and excitement. The most important thing on their mind is having a good time. Mean Gay's looking up at Spring. Doesn't he look so funny? Could you help? Hold this a minute, mate. And while this fun-loving tandem may have been known to wear camouflage, the Bushwhackers were two of the most colorful superstars to stand out in WWE. Be it their mile-a-minute lifestyle, or their taste for the unusual. Bushwhackers over for your family's Christmas dinner. <laughs> and their appetite for the exotic extended to their opponents as well. A late night snack there. From down under to on top of WWE, the Bushwhackers have dealt out a lickin' and have taken them too. En route to winning 26 tag team championships spanning their career around the globe. You can't prepare because they're not prepared. They're just going to spend the lights. But even if imitated, there's no way Cousins Luke and Butch could ever be replicated. The Bushwhackers are proudly welcomed into the WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2015. It's gonna be the year of the Bushwhackers! Bushwhackers! 
Bushwhackers, one of professional wrestling's most well-known tag teams, also competing as the Sheep Herders during their long career. They consisted of Luke Williams and Butch Miller, while the Sheep Herders also included Jonathan Boyd and Rip Morgan as members at times, in which we'll discuss. Let's go back to the beginning for Luke and Butch. Luke Williams and Butch Miller started wrestling as the Kiwi Sheep Herders for NWA New Zealand, later known as All-Star Pro Wrestling, in 1964. This is where they achieved a great deal of regional success. The duel was brought to America in 1965, by fellow New Zealander Steve Ricard, who was also the booker for NWA Hawaii. Williams and Miller initially worked in Canada for various promotions, most notably Stu Hart's Stampede Wrestling, billed as the Kiwis. Miller was known as Nick Carter, and Williams was known as Sweet Williams. The Kiwis began their first recorded title reign by defeating Bob Pringle and Bill Cody for Stampede International Tag Team Championship Gold on January 6, 1974. The Kiwis lost the titles to Tokyo Joe and the Great Saki, only to regain it a short time later. The Kiwis lost the titles for good to Stan Kowalski and Duke Savage. The Sheep Herders then worked for the World Wrestling Council as Los Pastores. A short time into their run with WWC, they defeated Puerto Rican legends Carlos Colon and Invader One for the WWC North American Tag Team Championship. They defended it for a month and a half until being defeated by Los Medicos. Los Pastores regained the titles on May 22nd and held them until coming up short against Jack and Jerry Briscoe on August 8th, 1981. After the team left WWC, they split up as Butch went home to Australia to wrestle and Luke remained in the United States. Determined to keep the Sheep Herders name on everyone's lips, Luke reformed the team with Lord Jonathan Boyd formerly of the Royal Kangaroos. They became the biggest heels in Southeast Championship Wrestling. Then, while Boyd was still out with a broken leg, Williams was reunited with his old tag team partner, Butch Miller, straight in from Australia. Luke and Butch stayed with WCW, SWCW through the rest of 1983 into 1984. The Sheep Herders dethroned the Fabulous Ones for the tag team titles. Their next major stop was a return to Puerto Rico and the WWC, this time competing as the Sheep Herders, where they won the WWC North American tag team titles. The Sheep Herders were a part of the company rather than their previous name, the Pastors, Los Pastors. When Williams and Miller returned to mainland, the United States mainland, and Bill Watts' UWF, they quickly reminded everyone who the original Sheep Herders were by beating Ted DiBiase and Steve Williams for the UWF tag team titles. The two teams participated in the memorable New Zealand boot camp match. The Sheep Herders traveled back to Puerto Rico for a short run during the summer of 86 and won the WWC World Tag Team Championship. 
Their biggest rivals during this period were the Fantastics. They wrestled. They traveled to Florida, where they wrestled and worked for Championship Wrestling. The Sheep Herders ended the Fabulous One's first reign with the NWA Florida United States Tag Team Championship, but the Fabulous Ones eventually regained the titles. Then they were off to Memphis as they beat the up-and-coming team of Bad Company, Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond, for the CWA AWA International Tag Team Championship, but they lost it back to Bad Company as fast as they had won it. After a quick feud with Bad Company, the Sheep Herders once again became entangled in a feud with the Fabulous Ones. In what would turn out to be the last series between the Sheep Herders and the Fabulous Ones, Kern and Lane dominated the matches and once again ran off the Herders. After leaving Memphis, they had a brief stint in New Japan, opting to return to Puerto Rico and the WWC. Here, they started a bloody feud with Chris and Mark Youngblood, which drew large numbers and crowds. The feud saw Williams and Miller win the WWC World Tag Team Championship. After their spring run with the council, the Sheep Herders returned to Florida and won the NWA Florida Tag Team Championship by brawling and cheating. Then, they began a second run with the UWF World Tag Team Championship after beating the Lightning Express, Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner. The Herders held the titles until the UWF was bought out by Jim Crockett and merged into Jim Crockett Promotions to form the forerunner of WCW. After this merger, the Herders worked for Jim Crockett, participating in the third Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Tag Team Tournament Cup. Just as it looked like the Herders were about to face the Fantastics once again in the finals of the tournament to crown new United States Tag Team Champions, Luke Williams and Butch Miller signed with the World Wrestling Federation. They debuted with the WWF in the midst of its aggressive national expansion, giving them greater exposure than they had ever had before. Isn't it good to walk in the arena and to see all the kids swinging their arms? Oh, not only the kids, Cousin Luke, but all our mates out there, all the bushwhackers, as we're coming in, Cousin Luke, as we're climbing, as we're marching, as we're going to the top of the WWE Tag Team Ladder, all our... All our mates out there, Kazaroos, they're doing it with us. They're climbing to the top with us, Kazaroos. They're helping us march over. They're all, they're opponents, they're all going together, Kazaroos. The lot of us, it's one for all. And all, all our mates out there cousin. for the Bushwhackers. All of The team's name was changed to the Bushwhackers, and they changed their violent style to a comedic style, which had. Well, in turn, which was an instant hit with the WWF fans. The comedy act involved licking each other as well as their opponents, exaggerated arm movements, the infamous Bushwhacker walk, and more. The Bushwhackers made their WWF in-ring debut on January 3, 1989 at a WWF Superstars of Wrestling taping. I remember when I first watched them debut in the Federation... I said to myself, these guys look familiar. I, I think I just saw them on NWA television on Saturday, 6.05. 
Then I said, no, they can't be because those guys I saw on NW television, these, they were violent. They were rough. They were brutal. These guys looked like they were comedians. They're stereotypical bushwhacker. They couldn't be the same, right? In turn, I found after doing some research, reading PWI and my and the other magazines out at the time, before the internet, I realized they were the same team. I could not believe it. Did they both go over, uh, both went through lobotomies, completely changing their personalities from violent brawlers to this fun-loving, licking, comedic tag team? Only a few days into their run with the WWF, the Butchwhackers had their first match with a team they would encounter repeatedly over the next year and a half. The Bolsheviks, Boris Zukov and Nikolai Volkov. In February, the Bushwhackers began a feud with the fabulous Rougeau brothers. The first feud to really feature the Bushwhackers on WWF television. The two teams would take their conflict to WrestleMania 5, which saw the Bushwhackers victorious in their pay-per-view debut as a team. During this time, the Bushwhackers began to feature or to be featured in a long series of comedic vignettes, usually subjecting Mean Gene Okerlund to their wild and wacky ways. This was all mixed in with their sardine-eating antics. These vignettes were often featured on Coliseum home video releases, where they served as the link between matches, the bridge. The Bushwhackers quickly became one of the most popular duos among viewers, chiefly due to the wildly comedic nature of their antics, including their trademark Bushwhacker walk, like I mentioned. They are also mixed with their country faux Australian musical theme and the high level of their friendly interaction with the audience. It made them stars. By 1990, the Bushwhackers were established as a solid mid-card comedy act. The Whackers' WrestleMania 6 appearance came at the expense of Rhythm and Blues as they showed up during a segment attacking the Honky Tonk Man and Greg Valentine and then broke their guitars. At the 1991 Royal Rumble, Butch set a rather unfortunate record as he lasted a total of four seconds. Using the trademark arm swing walk, he climbed into the ring was immediately grabbed by Earthquake, dragged across the ring in a straight line, and thrown over the top rope. He proceeded to leave the arena without missing a beat, using the trademark arm swing all in tow. One motion, it was hilarious, and mentioned and shown to this very day in Royal Rumble packages. At SummerSlam 1991, the Bushwhackers demanded a chance to get even with Earthquake and Typhoon. After destroying the Bushwhackers, the disaster targeted Andre the Giant, who was at ringside on crutches due to an earlier attack from Earthquake. The assault was stopped by the Legion of Doom, who ran off the disasters. No one will forget the Survivor Series 1993, when the entire team led by Doink, including the Bushwhackers, wore the trademark green wig and face paint. During their run, they feuded with the Nasty Boys, the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers, the Beverly Brothers, the Heavenly Bodies, the Head Shrinkers, and Demolition. The Bushwhackers appeared as themselves in a 1994 episode of the sitcom Family Matters, wrestling against Carl Winslow and Steve Urkel, who were forced to fill in for and fill in and wrestle 
as the Psycho Twins in late 1996. They were slightly revamped in a gimmick that ignored the fact that both members were from New Zealand as they displayed traditional Australian stereotypes, including being accompanied to the rink by a giant kangaroo mascot. On September 14th, the Bushwhackers made their last appearance while under contract with the World Wrestling Federation. After leaving the Federation, the team made special appearances on the independent circuit, including a return to the World Wrestling Council for its 24th anniversary show, where they were billed as the Sheep Herders and took on old rivals Invaders 1 and 2. They also appeared at a special event in Amarillo to celebrate 50 years of funk, where they lost to old rivals Mark and Chris Youngblood. Luke and Butch made one of their last major mainstream appearances as active wrestlers on April 1st, 2001 in the infamous WrestleMania X7-17 gimmick Battle Royal. Then on June 15th, the team returned to Memphis one last time, fighting the Moondogs to a double disqualification on a special Mid-South Clash of the Legends show. What can you say about the Bushwhackers? Their championships and accomplishments are pretty noteworthy. NWA Florida Tag Team Champions, NWA Florida United States Tag Team Champions, NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champions, three-time NWA Pacific Northwest Tag Team Champions, Continental Wrestling Association International Tag Team Champions, two-time Stampede International Tag Team Champions, and two-time World Wrestling Council Champions. The one titles, the mainstream titles they were unable to acquire, of course, were the WWF World Tag Team Championship. Not the most technical combination of wrestlers, but they can, on a flip of a switch, be two different characters. From violent and bloody brawlers to their comedic antics, the Bushwhackers will go down as one of the most remembered and well-liked tag teams in professional wrestling history. If you're an old school fan, I guarantee at one point or another, you've walked into your room doing the Bushwhacker Walk. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more in car insurance. Hey, I know that. Well, did you know that former pro football player Icky Woods will celebrate almost anything? Uh-uh. Number 44. Get some cold cuts, get some cold cuts, get some cold cuts. Woo! Give me some! Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. 44, ladies, that's me! Woo! Gonna get some cold cuts today! He's known the world over as Luke Harper of the Wyatt family. But before he began to follow the buzzards in WWE, he got his start in CZW as Big Rig. Brody Lee. Join Combat Zone Wrestling as it presents the very best of Brody Lee, including his CZW World Heavyweight Championship match against John Moxley, better known as Dean Ambrose. The best of Brody Lee in CZW is now available from RFVideo.com. Want to wear the official gear of the SNS Radio Network? Welcome to the SNS Radio Network's merchandise store. Go to snsradionetwork.com and click on the SNS Shop banner or go directly to snsradionetwork.com forward slash 
sns-shop. Here, you can continue to keep us on the air and yet bag some good swag to keep for yourself or purchase as a gift. All sales will provide the SNS Radio Network with a percentage revenue which will go to our production and operations costs. The store will also ship internationally, all courtesy of Zazzle for manufacture and distribution. Go now and get all the gear of the official SNS shop. This is Rikishi, and you're listening to SNS Radio. Stay tuned and don't touch that dial. wrestling fans that wraps up part two of the 2015 class of the wwe hall of fame we'll return again with the other inductees in just a few short days remember go to snsradionetwork.com and btbcast.com now for all archive shows sponsors and the latest news regarding beyond the bell connect socially twitter and facebook at Sean Beckerman, at BTBCast, and at Ring Announcing. Medusa's WCW theme takes us home. Until next time, as always, stay old school, my Hall of Fame friends. Are you ready, boys?